folks. So kids are tucked in, time for a serious discussion. And um, I wanna focus on this article, this Bloomberg article. And the headline is, the US military needs a lot more recruits, increasing the number of young Americans willing and able to serve should be a national priority. It's pretty interesting. Sorry about that. Let me get my camera together here. All right. So then the other piece in the in the link, and I'm gonna add this um, the article, uh, the link to the article as well. So it says joining the military doesn't appeal to young Americans. Go figure. I wonder why. Right. <laughs> I wonder why. So the Annual quota, just so you know, for all branches is around 150,000 uh, new recruits per year. I'm going to kind of get into some of my commentary, some other areas of this article that I want to call out. And I've got, I'm not here to just talk about the problem. I'm here to discuss possible, plausible solutions. Okay. I've been examining this and researching this stuff for years. Um, so I got some things that you probably want to listen to here. Okay. So again, if the headline is true, that, um, it, this should be a national priority, then I think the government needs to support an intervention for like teens and young adults that have a high propensity to serve, right? Let's define that. You know, let's take a closer look at that. So three things, three questions that I would ask to identify, I guess, this higher um, propensity segment. It's one, I want to find out if there's a correlation between standardized testing, like K-12 testing, um, and ASVAB scores. What's the correlation? There's probably some there. I just don't recall. The second question I would ask so we can be precise about our recruitment efforts. And I'm gonna to talk to you about this $500 million recruitment or advertising budget that the Pentagon has. Ridiculous, I think it's being wasted, but we'll get into that in, in, in a sec, okay? So number two, what are the military roles or specialties in which there's the highest demand? That would be the second question I ask, right? To identify this high propensity segment. Number three, what are the military roles or specialties that are the hardest to fill? I would be looking at those three things, okay? So here are some ideas to kind of follow up those, those questions, right? So I work with a few local recruiters, right? They do a great job. I think they need some upskilling in their, um, their methods and tactics. What I mean by that is this. Instead of just having a recruiter um, talking directly to, you know, a high school or junior college or technical college, whatever it is, why not pull in the individuals that work in those jobs in the military, like those military specialties that are the ones that are in high demand, the ones that are, that are the hardest to fill? They're the subject matter expert have them assist the recruiter on some of their outreach efforts because they're going to tell a better story. They're going to tell a more complete story. The recruiters can give you the summary, 
right? But if you want somebody to really give a young person the details of what a particular role is like day to day, you go to the subject matter expert. At least that's what I think. That's that's my thought, right? So have the recruiters partner with these individuals, right? This will help, and this will also help um, overcome some of this stigma that young people have about the military and military life. For example, I'm an Air Force vet. <laughs> Everyone that knew me um, thinks that I was a pilot. You know, everybody thinks of the Air Force like, oh, I don't want to fly. I don't want to Air Force because I don't want to fly. They just don't understand. They have no idea. They make a lot of these assumptions, right? And again, that's a, that's, you know, that that's simple. That's basic, right? But I'm just saying, again, we got to start cutting through um, these false perceptions of what the military is, right? The other piece is, I think that recruiters have been able to rely on the ignorance of their recruits for many, many years. It's not like that anymore, man. This society is much more informed, much more informed, much more access to information, right? You think about it, just look at social media right now. Everybody's trying to be a social creative. Everybody's trying to be a freaking social influencer. Um, and I mean, I get it. You know, some of them are good at what they do. Some of some people out here that are trying to, you know, be a social influencer, you probably need to pursue another career path. It's probably not going to work out for you. There are very few people that are really good at this social thing, right? But the thing that recruiters in the military need to think about this is this is an issue. There are many ways to generate income in today's digital economy versus, you know, decades ago. You know, when I was going in, when I when I uh, enlisted back in 96, back in the dinosaur age. Right. There weren't as many options. Social media didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. Right. There are so many people out here that can be, you know, they can start their own business right here using a microphone, a, a camera, a phone, computer. Everything you need is right here. If you've got the right plan and you got a good product or you know something that people are interested in. So those are the things that are working against our military today. That's it, right? Um, I think the military has to figure out how to offer a higher value proposition than, than what I just talked about or they better figure out how to tell a better story. I think the narrative is old. The narrative is really, really old. Um, and it's not landing well, it's not resonating with this um, young people today, the 17 to 24, 17 to 27 year olds. This, this group of people want something very different, man. So let's take a look at these stats. This is This blew me away. So, at least 70% of Americans between 17 and 24 are ineligible for military service. What do you think about that? 70%. It's ridiculous. Why are they ineligible? I'm going to give you these five top reasons. Number one is obesity. Two are mental health issues. 
Three, past drug use. Number four, a criminal record. Number five, a lack of a high school degree. And so again, the analytical part of me wants to ask these questions in order to, again, pinpoint the root, get closer to pinpointing the root issue. So when we're talking about 70% of Americans between 17 and 24, I want to know what that number is, though. The percentage is cool, but what is the number and where are they located geographically? Same thing with the five reasons that they're ineligible. Obesity, mental health, past drug use, criminal records, lack of high school degree. How many are they? How many are there? What's the quantity? What's the location? Where are they located? Let's try to pinpoint this thing, right? Again, at the end of the day, the military, I believe more than anything, just needs a new narrative that better aligns with what young adults want and need in this modern era. That's what I think. I'm sure a lot of you agree with that. Maybe some don't. That's okay. We can talk about it. What if the message that the military preaches and that carrot they dangle, what if it was around diversity, equity, and inclusion? Young adults care about that. Look at the social injustice that's happening in our nation and really across the world, but our nation um, is where I want to focus. So what if the message, what if the military's new message was around diversity, equity, and inclusion? How would that change perception? What if it was around mental health, self-discovery, financial literacy, and accountability? What if that was the message? Because that's what young people want and need. Young adults need and, and will want, right? Maybe what if what if they even offered, I guess what I would call a comprehensive career journey map that correlates with personal growth and evolution and less on physical toughness, because that's what the military's historically been known for. That's what that's what they portray. That's what they show in the commercials. That's what they show on social media. It's always the physical stuff, right? What if they focused on growth and evolution and less on physical toughness and what I call counterfeit emotional resilience? And the reason I call it counterfeit is because a lot of times the military teaches you to suppress emotion, not necessarily comprehend and effectively manage your emotions. That's what emotional emotional resilience really is, is the ability to comprehend those emotions and effectively manage those. And, and you know, in the most general sense, it's not sweeping them under the rug. It's not, you know, get over it. The mission requires you to do this. Because over time, that is where a lot of mental health issues start. It's from suppressed emotion. Not sure if you knew that, but it's a fact. Think about the war that our military is fighting now, right? Our military is fighting a new type of war, new type of enemy. Not saying that there's not a need for physical hand-to-hand -hand combat at some points in certain scenarios. Yeah, but the battlefield has evolved. The battlefield is cyber. The battlefield is chemical. The battlefield is AI, robotics. That's the battlefield. So maybe there needs to be um, 
a reallocation of the weighting, the weighting scale of, of less on the physical, more on the cognitive ability of potential recruits because the battle is changing, okay? The other thing this article talks about is, um, oh, this is, I got a kick out of this. Talks about expanding recruitment reach into technical colleges and community colleges, and it suggests offering bonuses to those that sign up for six years. That's nothing new. Bonuses? I'm going to tell you this, and this will kind of get into my knowledge around behavioral science because I've studied this for nearly a decade. Um, I understand how humans operate. I understand their motivational drivers. And I'm telling you, money is not a top motivational driver. You can't buy loyalty. Well, you can't buy long-term loyalty, maybe temporary, but not long-term loyalty. Money's not, not that, right? The goal should not be to try and purchase loyalty with those types of bonuses, right? The focus should be understanding which motivational drivers um, drive or what, what are the, the top motivational drivers for young people. And then you create an environment and infrastructure that supports that. This is a heavy lift. This is not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight. But it has to start now because the longer we delay, um, the bigger this problem is going to become and the more it's going to cost us. The longer you wait to correct an issue, the more costly it typically becomes. And we've waited a long, long time, right? Um, I think we got to, the military has to do a better job of understanding Again, with this new breed of des uh, of adult desires, right? You can just do the research. You can look at census.gov. You can look at the World Economic Forum. There's, there's data out there that tells you what young people are looking for. The science just doesn't support um, some of the things, uh, I think some of the, the old outdated approaches that the military is executing. Studies show that, again, money is actually on the lower end of the spectrum of behavioral drivers for human beings. This is something called um, the motive spectrum. If you've never heard of the motive spectrum, you should take a look at it. You should look it up. OK, it, it talks about the three primary intrinsic and ex extrinsic drivers of human behavior and performance. This is science. Last I checked, people in the military are human beings. So why doesn't this scientific data apply to them as well, right? So back to the whole uh, money piece, right? Instead of giving them bonuses, and I'm not saying don't give them bonuses, but let's add something to it, right? Instead of giving them bonuses, you know, giving them money straight out, maybe look at setting them up with investment accounts, something that will grow and increase in value over time. And not just give them the account, but education, support, guidance, right? I think young people really need to be taught to benefit from the ebbs and flows of the economy and not just become mere consumers. And that's the majority of what we have in society right now are consumers. They're not owners. They don't, they don't teach, um, a, an equity focus. 
you know, we're going to talk some more. We're going to talk about that in some later segments. Um, financial wellness, financial, the financial wellness bridge, because this is a tremendous um, opportunity for our young active duty military, even some of the more tenured active duty military. We got to start planning better when it comes to from a financial standpoint. OK. At the end of the day, what good is money without education and accountability? How many wealthy people have we seen over the last few decades mismanage their money and end up broke? They had millions. They didn't know what to do with it. So, you know, it's not always about how much money you make. It's it's how do you manage it? I mean, we know this. This is I'm not telling you guys anything new. So I'm just saying we got to take a um, a wiser approach to some of this stuff. We can't just throw money at it and think that's going to fix the um, the problem. It's not. So again, remember, the, what did I say earlier? The Pentagon has a $500 million advertising budget. They highlight the career benefits of joining the military on social media. Doesn't matter how much money you throw at something, if the messaging is wrong. I've seen it many, many times. Um, companies in the private sector throwing money at the wrong thing. Massive marketing budget, but it's obviously not working. It's not working. This is also a problem because the Career benefits are not as advertised by the military, right? This is this is what I call the conflict of two realities. The career path that you pursue while you're in the military typically does not translate well into civilian life in the majority of cases. The corporate sector data doesn't support that. So you can't continue to tell people that there are career opportunities in the military. It's not a lie. It's just not the whole truth. It's not a complete story. There may be career opportunities while you're in the military, but when you leave, they do not translate. The language spoken in the military around skill sets and, and behaviors are not, it's not the same language on the outside. And so we've got to get to a place where we can marry those two together. There has to be alignment. There has to be congruence between military skill, the language, the universal skill, and, and the language on the outside. I'm very surprised this hasn't been solved for yet, um, but we're working on it. My, my organization is working on it. Um, vigorously, and we will have a solution, um, and it'll it'll be something that'll that can scale, that can it'll be standardized, it'll scale. Many um, veterans are going to benefit from it. Many corporations are going to benefit from it. Just stay tuned. We're going to fix this. Um, what else did this article get into? Um, yeah, I mean, just at the end of the day, it's just overly overly presumptive, I mean, by the military to think that those skills translate or tell that story. Maybe they know, they just don't want you to know. 
you know, they don't want the military personnel to know, the recruit to know, you know, once they hit their quota, they're on to the next thing, right? Um, yeah, so final couple things here. So the article said, this is another thing the article said, expanding the pool of qualified recruits isn't a job for the military alone. I can, I can kind of agree with that. It says addressing childhood obesity, substance abuse, and poor academic achievement requires greater investment in the country's K-12 education and public health systems. You think? And how long has this been a topic of discussion that's gone really nowhere? It made some progress, but not enough. I mean, we're so behind when it comes to this stuff, right? In order to achieve this, right, there would need to be a method of what I would call dietary accountability put in place, which means you got to offer some better food choices in the school. And it's got to be one, something the kids want to eat and two, something that's really that holds nutritional value. That's a whole nother conversation. Right. And there needs to be a stronger emphasis on physical activity. I see so many schools getting away from physical activity. And I don't mean it has to be anything. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of PE, right? I'm a fan of outdoor activity and stuff like that, right? But what about, what if there was some physical activity at the start of each class? Five minutes, maybe some body weight squats or, or something. You know what I mean? Like there's something, I've noticed that when I change my physical, my my biology physically, it shifts my energy. I'm more focused. I'm more alert. I'm more attentive. I perform better when when I can do some type of physical activity before I begin my mental work. And it doesn't have to be long. Like I said, five minutes at the start of class, right? Um, I'm just curious to see how the budget to support this segment is going to get increased, if, if at all, right? Um, if this is like a real plausible strategy to deepen the pool of qualified candidates, right? It's going to take more of an investment. I think it's going to take more of a monetary investment. It's going to take more of an investment um, in partnership, partnership and alliances. And we'll get into that uh, in another segment. So some of my closing thoughts at the end of the day, the military needs to stop operating on an island and making and they're choosing to fail in a silo. They don't have to. Military is a fraternity. Yeah, well, you hear that all the time. You hear that all the time, but it can it can remain that. But I think they just they need to be much more inclusive, bringing in uh, non-military, non-government partners. I think that type of functional diversity would pay dividends, right? I think they need to get involved with corporate partners early and not just when it's time for, for service members to begin to seek employment after they discharge from service. Yeah, you want to partner then because, yeah, you want these folks need jobs. But they're not prepared, really. Six months is not enough time. A year sometimes is not enough time. 
That's why we started this organization. That's why I started World Bridge is to start to connect corporations with active duty military very early in their careers, right? So we can lay a better groundwork and a better foundation. And so they'll already have that behavioral and cognitive muscle when it's time for them to transition out because they can't stay forever. You got to start early. So listen, if, if you're listening to this and you know someone on the Pentagon Recruitment Task Force or the Military Culture Task Force or if they function in any um, capacity that's responsible for personnel, let's chat. I've got some really solid ideas and um, a framework that I think that could shift this culture because a, a, a shift is needed. A paradigm shift is needed on so many levels. We're going to start talking about some of the outdated and antiquated um, leadership styles in the military. They're just ineffective. You guys have a great night. Hope you found value in this information. Um, it's going to take a collective effort for us to change this. These problems are not going to get better until we do something different. We have to. You guys have a good night. Take care.